The title of our meditation today is, of course, about communion, uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's entitled, The Last Passover and the First Communion Service, which was all one and the same. There, on that Thursday night, just before uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Friday. Um, I will print it out, the text, but I will share them so you can follow along. Um, And I'm so grateful for Bible Gateway program on the Internet, which allows you to find things quickly and also to print out whatever verses you like to print out. It's been such a blessing. And you can do that in about 60 different languages um, and many different editions. So it's delightful to be able to compare, to learn, to to research, and we're thankful uh, for that uh, service. And I'm reminded of the fact that uh, the very first concordance, uh, Bible concordance, was Cruden's concordance, uh, done a number of hundreds of years ago. If I recall, I believe it was in the 1600s or 1700s. And um, can you imagine the amount of work it would take to cross-reference every single verse in the entire Bible by hand? I mean, it's an amazing amount of work. And uh, Mr. Cruden had hoped to be a pastor, but his health was not very good. And he felt kind of disappointed. But God had another work for him to do. And that was to create the first Bible concordance, which has been such a blessing uh, ever since then. Of course, there's been many other concordances uh, since then. And even in the back of our Bibles, we'll have a small concordance. Um, We're so thankful that God has given us these tools to better uh, appreciate and utilize his word. The Lord's Supper is a time of meditation, reflection, dedication, time for seeking and sharing forgiveness, time for thanksgiving for his amazing grace, a time for contemplation of the cross of Jesus Christ, and a time for beholding the Lamb. And that is so important. We want to look at several uh, verses. And, of course, the one that's very familiar, John one twenty nine. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when we look at that verse, we realize that the only way that the sin can be taken away out of our lives is by beholding the Lamb. It is as we behold Jesus and his marvelous sacrifice for us, his life for us, his death, that we receive that gift of willingness and desire to follow and to serve him. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we now all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So by beholding, we are changed. The important question today for each one of us is, who has our attention? What has our attention? 
because we are changed by what we focus our attention on. As the Bible says, by beholding we are changed. Um, the chorus of that beautiful song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the key is to stay focused on Jesus. And then uh, Paul said in uh, Philippians, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. So God is calling us to a very high standard of laying aside, as Paul says, those things which would detract, that would easily beset us, that would hold us back, and to run the race. Uh, and we are called day by day to make choices on what we do with our time, what we do with, with anything and everything. Uh, since their little song that they sing in the children's division, be careful, little eyes, what you see, be careful, little ears, what you hear. That works for adults as well as children um, to be remembered. In Job, first verse of Job, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. The way we demonstrate our respect and love and trust for God is by shunning evil, by putting aside anything that would detract in any way from our walk with him. And in fact, this initial description, again, was repeated by uh, God in heaven when they had the dispute with Satan over who was the most <laughs> uh, blameless person on earth. And, and God, again, says, uh, describes Job as being the one who feared God and shunned evil. David in the Psalms, uh, Psalms 139, we'll just mention some of the verses from that if you want to turn to that. Psalms 139, um, we, we get such a beautiful... Um, insight into the heart of David. Uh, he was a person who apparently, uh, as we say, wore his emotions on his sleeve. And he was straight up, outright, up front with how he was feeling, whether he was talking with others and even when he was talking with God. He, he laid it all out there. And uh, there in the first verse it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down in my rising up. Uh, and it goes on then, verse 13, you have formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, 
Your verse 16, your eyes saw my substance as being yet unformed. The days fashioned for me and as when there was yet, yet none of them. Would to God that people contemplating as they do and accomplish, sadly, the millions of abortions every year would read this psalm and realize that a baby is God's creation. Um, obviously has parents, but God is one that makes this possible and every life is sacred. Um, verse 17, he continues, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! And, um, and finally, in verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now that prayer takes courage to actually ask God to find fault with us. <laughs> to point out, not just because he wants to find fault, but to point out what needs to be changed, what needs to be forgiven, what needs to be transformed so that we may indeed walk with him. And when we pray that prayer, um, the Lord has ways of pointing things out. Uh, we've all experienced that when suddenly we realize something and we have to say thank you, Lord, for reminding us, pointing out uh, things that uh, need to be given over to him so that he can continue his great work and transform, transform us. The Passover, which was also known as the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, um, which Jesus was actually celebrating when he instituted the Lord's Supper, um, went back 1,500 years, all the way back to the time of the Exodus. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, we'll mention several of the verses there. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household, the lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall uh, keep it until the 14th day of the same, same month. And then the whole congregation and the assembly of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the houses where they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh that night and roast it in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So God is setting up what was to be for 1,500 years, this service of memorial, uh, a time of remembrance of deliverance from Egypt. And what is interesting is that this instructions, this Passover, was instituted after the ninth plague and just before the tenth plague. And the tenth plague, of course, was when the firstborn of Egypt would be destroyed, um, or anyone who didn't choose to trust God and put the blood on the doorpost. And, and of course, now he gives specific instructions because that would be the, the night and, and they were to leave immediately after that happened uh, for the promised land. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, 
and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And it's very evident and clear that the blood on the doorpost represented Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. He was the one that all of us pointed forward to. He was our Passover. He is our Passover, um, Passover lamb. And so that was the background of um, this service or this meal that Jesus was having with the disciples. And he said he had desired to, to eat this with him before he would suffer. And all the way through these verses in this last week of, of, of just before the crucifixion, um, and incidentally, all four Gospels spend more time on that time period, that last week, and then, of course, the resurrection and a few days after an ascension, they, they, they spend more time on that than anything else combined because that's the focal point of the whole Gospels was what Jesus uh, did for us. Now, it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of this first communion service, um, this Lord's Supper. Um, John is the one who tells the story of the foot washing, that part of the ceremony. Um, the other three uh, are very focused on what Jesus said at the, at the time of the communion service. In Matthew, which normally, Matthew being one of the longer uh, Gospels, was very cryptic. One verse. <laughs> As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. and said, take, eat, this is my body. So it's a very, very brief description. As we move into Mark, um, and usually Mark is the one who has the uh, least amount to say um, compared to the others, but here he goes into greater detail. That's Mark 14. The original verse there was Matthew 26, 26. But in Mark 14, again, we have this description of what was happening. And again, as we're eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and said, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he gave it thanks, it's interesting, Matthew doesn't reference the cup, but Mark and Luke do. And he took the cup, and when he gave it thanks, they all drank from it. This is the blood of the new covenant. And then Jesus said, surely I will say to you, I'll no longer drink the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Just a side note, footnote, we weren't talking about fermented product, as many people think. Uh, we're talking about the fruit of the vine, the fresh, the new wine. Um, because fermentation throughout the Bible was a representation and a symbol of sin. So absolutely, fermentation, the actual fermented wine, has nothing to do uh, with the gospel. In fact, the Old Testament in particular warns against Obviously, wine and strong drink, that, that type of wine. Um, and uh, so Jesus was, again, explaining how important this was and that 
for him, this would be the first communion service, the only communion service here on earth until the second coming. Um, quite amazing. And uh, Luke, Luke 22, uh, gives us a little more detail, but basically following the same uh, pattern. And Jesus said, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. For I will say to you, I will no longer eat of it until fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So in the last gospel, it talks about Jesus said, I won't touch the fruit of the vine until we all come together in heaven. And here he says, I will not eat of the bread, um, the consecrated bread, until heaven. Uh, And then in John 13 is where we get the description of the foot washing ceremony service. And um, there in uh, John 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus was not giving up. But then it says, after the supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Jesus uh, Iscariot to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had come from God, was going to God. He rose, laid aside his, obviously his outer garment, um, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. So he's taking on the role of a servant. And Jesus himself said, I've come to serve. I've come to be a servant. Um, And, of course, we know Peter's reaction. Didn't understand. Um, As as Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, "What what I'm now doing, you do not understand. But you will know after this. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. You never have to guess about what Peter's thinking. You know, he, he lets us know right up front. He's so honest. You know, and I think God appreciates honesty. It's okay to talk to God with our heart and tell him just, you know, what, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. But Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And so Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said he was bathed needs only to wash his feet but it's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. And in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment, sat down, he said, Do you know what I have done to you or for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You say, Well, so I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and I believe in the old King James says, Lord and Master, um, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given an example that you should do as I have done for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the one part of the communion service that most of the Christian world completely ignores. Very rare. Uh, for this to be observed, um, they, you know, they do the the Lord's Supper part, but in most cases, 
they pay no attention whatsoever to, as we call, the ordinance, ordinance of humility. Um, now, what's interesting, there was another foot washing that had just taken place a few days earlier that same week. Um, and you go back to Mark 14. It was anointing in Bethany. It says, Then being in the Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, and a woman came having an alabaster flax, a very costly oil of spike nerd. She broke it, poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant, said, Why this fragrant oil wasted? It might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, given to the poor. They're talking about a year's wages. Extremely valuable. Um, but Jesus said, let her alone. We understand from also from um, uh, the other gospel, uh, Gospel of John, that um, Judas was the one who instigated this condemnation of Mary uh, for her great gift for her master. Um, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble? She's done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always. You may do wish good for them whenever you wish. But me, you do not always have. And surely, she says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burial. Surely, I say to you, that wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Now, the very next verse. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. Judas wanted nothing to do with humility. He wanted nothing to do with anything connected with humble, a humble government. He was looking for a kingdom, for a power, for glory. And right then, he said, okay, I'm out of here. Um, because he was looking for the great kingdom of glory at the end of the world rather than the suffering servant uh, as predicted by Isaiah. Now, it's also interesting that in John, when he tells the same story, uh, that um, Jesus actually identifies who's going to betray him. The disciples, the rest of them don't understand. And, um, of course, he said, uh, to whom I give this piece of bread after he dipped it, um, he said, we'll be the one. Because they all said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? You know, who, who would dare betray you? And Jesus said, just, you know. But they still don't get it. But it says, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. And again, at the second foot washing, Judas goes straight to the chief priest to arrange the betrayal that night. Both his initial arrangement, agreement, and now his final decision, both happened connected with a foot washing because he wanted no part of this kind of a humble kingdom, the humble kingdom of grace. A choice comes to us today at the time of, of communion, of fellowship, of remembrance, that we can choose to come closer to Jesus as the 11 out of 12 did, 
come closer to Jesus as Mary did, or we can walk away as Judas did. The difference is our choice. But by God's grace, may we all have the experience and the joy of that greater fellowship with him. We'll separate now for the foot washing, uh, which will be back in the fellowship area. And um, there will be a room set aside for the women there in what was the boardroom. And uh, then the men out in the more open area. And afterwards, we'll return here for the, uh, the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians, Paul also recalls the first communion service, which, of course, he did not have the privilege of being there at, but apparently had certainly learned it from the apostles of what actually happened. In First Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Offer a prayer at this time on the bread. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate your sacrifice for us, as we contemplate the amazing grace and mercy, forgiveness through the broken body of Jesus. And as we partake of the emblem, reminding us of his broken body, Lord, we do so with humility, with desire for forgiveness from all sin, at the same time with rejoicing that we have had the privilege of receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ moment by moment and day by day. And we pray that uh, your work in our hearts and lives will continue and that we will receive that spiritual nourishment that we all need. In Jesus' name, amen.
words of Jesus. Take it. This is my body. This is broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
manner he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance for me. Drink all of it. Bible says that after the service, the communion service, this last Passover, the first Lord's Supper, was completed. They sang a hymn and went out. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this time of remembrance. And may this continue every day, every moment of our lives to give thanks for the amazing, unspeakable, and glorious sacrifice of Jesus for us and his amazing salvation. We thank you in the precious name of our Savior. Amen.